Hello and welcome to the Pastcast. I'm Calm Henderson. And I'm Carly Hills. And on this episode, we're looking ahead to everyone's favourite time of year, which is very fast approaching. It's the current Archaeology Conference of 2022. Or CA Live, which is at the end of February. Hooray! <laughs> Carly, um, you're the editor of Current Archaeology magazine, so you're quite centrally involved in the organisation of the conference each year. Um, can you tell me a bit more about the event and how it's going to be done this year? Sure. So it's going to be another online event, uh, like last year was, due to COVID restrictions. But we've already got a really great programme coming together. Uh, we're asking all our speakers to pre-record their talks, and then these videos will go live on the CA YouTube channel, which is www.youtube.com forward slash current archaeology on the morning of Friday 25th, uh, 25th of February. Uh, they'll be available for the whole of the conference weekend, which is that Friday through Sunday, and some of them will keep up a bit longer. So you'll be able to watch them in any order you like. Excellent. And um, yes, in addition to the speakers, the conference is also where the uh, current archaeology awards are announced. Yes. Uh, the winners will be announced on the Friday night, and Julian Richards will announce the results, like he's done at, at so many other CA conferences. Uh, the awards are for Archaeologist of the Year, Research Project of the Year, Rescue Project of the Year, and Book of the Year. Yes, and on this episode, we thought it would be a nice idea to catch up with the three nominees for the Archaeologist of the Year um, to learn a bit more about them, how they got into archaeology and their, their career highlights and that sort of thing. Uh, Carly, you spoke to each of them in turn over the course of the last week. Uh, would you like to introduce our first nominee? Sure. Uh, our first nominee is Professor Martin Bell. Uh, Martin's research includes both environmental and experimental archaeology. Uh, he spent decades studying the Seven Estuary and exploring archaeology on a, on a landscape scale. And he's just retired from Reading University. So here's my conversation with him. Cool. So welcome, Martin, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I was hoping we might find out a little bit more about you. So if we could perhaps start with how you first got involved in archaeology. I, I understand you've been digging since you were a schoolboy. Yes, I started digging when I was about 13 in, in Sussex. And mm. uh, um, really, it's been a constant thread of my life ever since. Could we talk a bit more about your schoolboy experiences? Where, where were you? Where were you working in Sussex? Uh, uh, various sites, but particularly a site called Bishopstone, which is um, uh, near Newhaven, and I got involved in that as a as a schoolboy, and then eventually ended up um, running the project and and writing it up. And how did these how did these experiences sort of lead to a professional career in archaeology? Well, I'd be, I was very fortunate, really, because I graduated in 1975, and that was the year that many of the units were set up. So I was able to write up my two uh, biggish excavations in Sussex um, when I was employed by the uh, Sussex Archaeological Field Unit, as it was at the time. And then after that, I went on to do a PhD exploring some of the research themes that had um, come out of my my excavations that was on valley sediments as evidence of prehistoric land use so I really became a, a sort of environmental archaeologist and geoarchaeologist as a result of that research. Um, and of course speaking of your, your research you've been involved in quite a variety of projects over the course of your your career I wondered if you had any favorite projects or, or any professional achievements you're particularly proud of well, the thing is, I I just love all the projects and all the areas I've I've worked in. So mm -hmm. that's a sort of constantly expanding um, 
um, affection for many different places. But I think the key thing really has got to be, I've done about 40 years work now recording archaeological sites as they've been eroded by the sea in the Severn Estuary. And, and that's an ongoing thing because there are constant new discoveries being made, Mesolithic human and animal footprints. We've recently discovered a Mesolithic fish trap and so on. And that's laid the foundations for other sort of wider interests in prehistoric mobility, for instance, which is the, the subject of a, a book that I've done recently called Making One's Way in the World. Yes, uh, we reviewed the book in CA. It's very, very interesting. Uh, the idea of um, mobility within the landscape, is that something you'd like to talk a bit more about? Yes, I think it, it's it's got many different dimensions. I mean, I came upon it, first of all, I suppose, through environmental archaeology and the effects that hunter-gatherers have on the vegetation of their landscapes. And then discovering these Mesolithic human footprints in the Severn Estuary gave me a, a different perspective, a very local movement, people moving around the landscape around their campsites. And then I connected that back, really, to the evidence of early routeways that I'd found uh, in my early days, really, on the South Downs, the, the hollow ways and so on, which connected individual prehistoric sites together. And I sort of realised that we tend to look at sites as if they're uh, single disconnected entities and that what we really need to do is to try and find out how they link together as parts of living landscape. So that's really what prompted the development of those ideas in that book. And speaking of, of landscapes and the environment, I understand you're also very interested in the relationship between archaeology and nature conservation and sustainability. Yeah, I think that's a really important area for us at the moment. You know, we, we're in pretty challenging times, really. And I do think that archaeology needs to sort of broaden its outlook and to try and identify ways in which a a deep time perspective can contribute to social concerns, particularly, well, global warming, sustainability, um, nature conservation and things like that, because public policy is moving on um, very rapidly, really. Planning policy is, is changing. And it's really important that as archaeologists, we um, draw on that deep time perspective in order to inform these debates Absolutely. It's interesting how archaeology, we think of it as being a study of the past, but you're quite right. It can help inform present decisions and, and how we face future challenges too. Yes. I mean, decisions by politicians tend to be made on the basis of very short term em emphasis um, of, of what the public's interested in at the moment without really taking the time to, to look at the, the, the longer term effects and, and implications and I think archaeology also has a, a great role to play in uh, issues relating to the, the the quality of life and well-being and so on. You know, increasingly people appreciate the landscapes around them and they want to know more about their origins, how they're how they've developed, and of course that's relevant to how they can be protected in the future. And I wonder if we could finish by talking about uh, another of your research interests about experimental archaeology and what what role that has to play. Yeah, the aspect of experimental archaeology I'm particularly interested in really is how it helps us to understand how the archaeological record forms. And I've done that really in two ways. Um, first of all, through a thing called the Experimental Earthwork Project, which was set up in 1958. And that's designed to demonstrate how 
earthworks weather and erode, um, how buried materials within earthworks decay or survive over time. So that's a 128-year experiment, really ambitious. And the other aspect I've looked at is doing excavations of experimental buildings, particularly roundhouses that have been up for uh, periods of, you know, 15 to to 25 years really and are now coming to the end of their life and we've excavated those just as if they were archaeological excavations of of iron age buildings and that's helped us to understand the traces that we find of prehistoric uh, activity um, on on similar sites the key point being that many of the changes both in earthworks and roundhouses happen very rapidly, really, after construction. And then there's a period of sort of stability. So by looking at um, processes over 10, 20, 30 years, you can get an insight into much longer term uh, preservational changes. Absolutely. That does sound like such an interesting field. Fantastic. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for your time. Um, It's been really interesting finding out more about you and best of luck with the voting. (laughs) Uh, yes that was martin bell talking to us there um who's our next nominee carly our next nominee is raksha dave Uh, she's a field archaeologist public archaeologist and broadcaster um listeners might well recognize her from time team Uh, she dug over 100 sites with them over over 10 years but she's also worked on a host of other tv programs and documentaries And most recently, she's become president of the Council for British Archaeology, uh, where she's striving to make archaeology as accessible to as diverse a body of people as possible. So, Raksha, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, It's really great to chat. And I was hoping we could ask you a few questions just to find out a bit more about you. Yeah, sure. It's a a pleasure. Um, So could we start by talking about your your early experiences? Maybe uh, how did you first become interested in archaeology? Oh, gosh, that's like going into the annals of time. Um, I was, I th- I think I was about three or four years old. Um, and I just got really excited. Uh, this is like, very typical, I suppose, of a dinosaur book that I saw on the shelf. And oh. I was just kind of like, really taken aback by it. And was really interested to learn what these beasts were. And I think from that, that love of paleontology then basically got me into, well, I suppose that's kind of like deep, deep, deep history, but got me into thinking more about just history in general. And I just became absolutely fascinated with everything. And then obviously there were like quite momentous moments, archaeological moments, uh, I suppose, that formed my early life, which was things like the raising of the Mary Rose. I think everybody who's like a child of the early 80s will remember sitting these massive TVs being rolled in at school and a teacher be making you watch these this like momentous occasion where the, where this this Tudor ship is raised from the Solent. Um, so all, yeah. just all of these things kind of fed into that um, to the point where then I was like, oh, wow, archaeology is a thing and you can actually do a job in that. That was like, you know... Uh, I was really fascinated by that 
Sure. It's amazing how many archaeologists do start with dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's like that easy connect, isn't it? And then you realise, oh, actually, archaeology's got nothing to do with dinosaurs. But, yeah, it's just it's that, yeah. just that thing of like the fantastical and actually human beings are fantastical yeah. as well. And how did these sort of early inspirations lead to your professional career? Um, I just really wanted to do archaeology as a degree. So there's, I kind of sure. went into kind of two... Do I go into um, do archaeology or my other love, which was musical theatre, strangely? Um, so I did actually audition for drama school, but then the obvious route was to go and get an education and get my degree. So that's what I decided to do. Because at that time, um, degrees were paid for completely. So that's what I did. And um, I just ended up doing it in the complete traditional route. I had never been on an excavation before or Really, I think I did work experience at my local museum. I think that was about as close as I got really to actually physically doing any form of archaeology. So it wasn't until I went to UCL to do my undergraduate degree that I actually got fully immersed into the world of archaeology. And of course, you you started digging, I think, in in London and then went on to excavate such a variety of sites with with Time Team. I I wondered if you had any favourite projects or or professional achievements you're particularly proud of you'd like to tell us about. Um, Oh, gosh. So many, <laughs> so so many. Because I, I we were, I was on the show for ten years. So um, I think the ones that I really enjoyed doing were the ones that were a surprise. Because we obviously dug on um, really things that were really well known at, at some points. Things like you know uh, Westminster Abbey. I mean, you're bound to find something there for obvious reasons. Yes. But you know things that weren't um that were unknown I suppose things that kind of added that extra level and the extra data you know it was almost like finding a missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle so I really enjoyed um excavating in in the middle of nowhere or in somebody's back garden or um you know pub car parks or whatever and you just find like the most amazing things like a roman villa in somebody's back garden and it kind of spanned like four households or um or the the middle of mull that is probably my most favorite or i love doing all of the island ones because they were just like complete mysteries but kind of showed that perfect um storm of how humans basically island hopped from island to island and just spread I don't know early Christianity and I think Mull was one of those where like literally in the middle of nowhere in this forest I think these two two lovely ladies had written a letter or got in contact with time team and said we think that we found an early Christian chapel and and they did and we spent three days and we found the remnants of this stone chapel, uh, monastic cells, just like in the middle of nowhere, you know, these people just spending time con- contemplating God and life. It was like, um, yeah, it was just just an amazing, amazing story. And I think also as an archaeologist or just as a human being, completely connected with that landscape because actually we were like in the middle of nowhere, but you could see, it was like almost like a promontory, you could see all around the island and you could completely understand why people wanted to go there and just be close to God. It was just one of those phenomenal places. Oh, so it's such an atmospheric place to dig. Yeah, completely. And it was quite odd because um, I think as you travelled up there, there, there was actually some like tree felling and logging going. But as soon as you, that was behind you, 
just got to this kind of like clearing on the top of this hill and that you know you could have been you could have been in the middle of anywhere it was just yeah amazing amazing very atmospheric place bringing us to the the present day i wondered um what are your key archaeological interests now um well i it is quite interesting because i always think that um when you start archaeology you think you know what you're going to do for the rest of your life but i would very easily say that you turn into a different flavor of archaeologist as you go along (laughs) and I think that's what I've done I've kind of very much started as a field archaeologist and then have turned into a public archaeologist like through and through almost just through my broadcasting work so it's my I think my my goal really at the moment and what I'm really interested in is to get as many people as possible interested in archaeology and obviously that's through my broadcasting work or writing or whatever but it's just about making sure that people um have a chance to access archaeology through different means and forms um and a great way of advertising that is obviously through tv work and radio work and and just telling as many different stories about people and that's what archaeology is. They're just stories about people, you know, these fascinating snippets of things in the past or whether, you know, you leave your door and there's clues in the landscape about people. That's what it's about. I'm really lucky because I get to piggyback on other people's research and projects and I'm the person that tells their stories and that's a real privilege to have. But I love doing it and I love telling lots of different people about how brilliant archaeology is so you know that's that's great I love it as you say it's it's, it's so important to get it out there yeah absolutely but that's a- you know it's all about inspiring new people and different kinds of people to do to appreciate well not even become archaeologists just to kind of acknowledge that it exists and that actually there are many real life things that archaeology links into you know like climate change and that can have like a profound effect. Of course, it's how um, things in the past are still so relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, do, I think that archaeology isn't just about the past. It's about the present and it's about the future. Because we're human and I, I don't necessarily think that our behaviour changes. Obviously, the time constructs and uh, uh, the, how society has formed changes. But I think generally we behave in pretty similar ways. <laughs> I don't think that has changed very much at all. No. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Raksha. It's been so interesting talking to you. And uh, best of luck with the voting. Thank you. Okay, that was Raksha Dave talking to us there. Um, and Carly, who's our final nominee for this year's Archaeologist of the Year? That's Dr. Peter Halkin. He's recently retired as senior lecturer in archaeology at Hull University. But over the course of his career, he's headed lots of projects focused particularly on the Iron Age and the Roman period. Uh, CA readers might remember recent articles we've run about his work on chariot burials in East Yorkshire. And actually, just last month in CA381, we covered his recent excavation of a really intriguing Iron Age shrine in the Yorkshire Wolds. So... Peter, thank you for your time. It's it's lovely to talk to you. And I was hoping to find out a little bit more about you. So (laughs) maybe we could start by talking about your early experiences in archaeology. Um, I understand uh, your your participation in archaeology began in your childhood. Oh, yeah. My father moved from North Lincolnshire to a farm at home on Spalding Moor. 
And uh, he recorded in his farm book, which is recording what crops is going to grow in each field and first arriving, lots of Roman pottery. So that field now became known as the pot field. <laughs> and as a small child, I used to go around and pick up bits of Roman pottery. So that led to an interest and the local, actually a local school teacher and a neighbour came and did a small dig. I remember that, I can't, I must have been probably about eight or nine. But then much later, the East Riding Archaeological Society decided to come and do an excavation on the father's farm at Hazo on three Roman pottery kilns in an Iron Age settlement. And I was actually allowed an exeat from Bridlington School, where I was a boarder, to go home at weekends and take part in the excavation. So uh, I've been really very lucky to have that beginning in archaeology. And apparently I surprised the primary school teacher, uh, the new headmistress at Homeland's Baltimore County Primary School, who arrived at the school. And I was in the playground by the front of the school. And she recognised me and said, oh, you must be Muriel Holkins' son. That's my mum who taught at the school. And I said, yes. And uh, they said, uh, she said rather, well, what do you want to do when you're grown up? I said, I want to be an archaeologist. Oh. And apparently she nearly got back in the car and drove away, wondering what kind of school she'd come to and, and dined out on that story for years, according to what my mother has told me. So really, that was my background. And whilst at school, uh, as I said, I took part in, in archaeological excavations there. Fantastic. And, and how did these early interests lead to a professional career in archaeology? Well, a long and uh, winding road, as the Beatles would have said. I read archaeology at Liverpool, or ancient history and medieval archaeology at Liverpool University. Uh, and uh, then went into uh, school teaching. Uh, went, did a um, PGC at St John's in York. Uh, but I always maintained an interest in archaeology. My first teaching job at a school in Hull, Brandsham High School, where I introduced actually teaching archaeology there, uh, and uh, continued my membership, which my mother had got me, along with May I say. The first, very first editions of Current Archaeology, which you subscribed for me, uh, and um, really continued from there. And uh, I began in, in uh, 1980 when the fairly newly formed Humberside Archaeology Unit was set up to um, do a project with the Striding Archaeological Society on the area where I was brought up. My father had, had left uh, the farm in what the middle 1970s and moved to up to the Wolds at Nunburnham. And um, I continued doing work there. But in um, 1982 or three, um, I was introduced to Martin Millett, who had just been appointed as a lecturer at Durham University who wanted to do something Roman in the north of England that wasn't around Hadrian's Wall. And Tim Shadler Hall actually introduced us, who was at Hull Museum. And I decided to do a systematic survey of the area I was brought up at, at Bursi and Hazone with the society doing field walking 
and even in 1980, some geophysics with Bradford University. And it became pretty clear that not only were the three pottery kilns at Hazome, but lots more. And we did an excavation in 1982, sorry, 1983, and then again in 1984 on the neighbouring farm at Bursley. And again, found several Roman pottery kilns and Iron Age settlements, but also evidence for considerable Iron Age ironworking as well. So a lot going on in that very low-lying area on the sand dunes uh, by the river. And subsequent work, of course, found that what we were on was the northern edge of a major tidal estuarine inlet, in the, which had formed during the early Iron Age, late Bronze Age period. Before that had been a uh, forested area, terrestrialised, and before that, in the Neolithic, another tidal estuarine inlet. So, you know, those early beginnings led to really part of the reconstruction of the Humber lowlands. Yeah, wide array of insights. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you've obviously had a very, a very varied career and, and think about a lot of projects. Uh, do you have any favourite investigations or, or professional achievements you'd, you'd like to tell us about? Well, it can be really cheeky and kind of two bits. Uh, okay. on my kind of um, both on my teaching professional side as a university lecturer, and well, before that, a, a teacher, uh, and the archaeological aspects. I would think one of my proudest moments as a as a university lecturer was seeing students on a part time BA in archaeology who maybe had left school with relatively few qualifications. You know, walk onto the stage at a degree ceremony and get a 2-1 or even better. I mean, I felt really good for them and even more when some of those went on to be professionals in archaeology within the region. So proud moments. One of my former students, I won't embarrass her by naming her, is uh, now uh, a senior finds officer in Humber Field Archaeology or Humber Archaeology Partnerships. Uh, you know, she was one my first official you know, exam level archaeology student at when I taught at Branson High School. So that's one side. The other side, of course, is the discovery I did with Martin Millet in 1984 of the Iron Age Hazam logboat, which was really quite amazing and that's been covered in back issues of your magazine of course <laughs> and uh, even more recently than that following the iron age themes one of britain's earliest and largest iron industries and uh, only this year the second season on our fabulous um iron age sanctuary site yes which i was working with mainly of course james lyle my right colleague it must take a lot of credit for, for a lot of this work. Was, that was absolutely stunning to see the heads of all these cows which have been deposited <laughs> ritually in this enclosure complex. Yeah. So that was really quite staggering. And the great thing was, of course, uh, most of the work was done by volunteers on a community basis, as we did with the Petra Revisited project in Brough. Great to see. You know, the participation of local people researching their own heritage. Absolutely. It is wonderful how community projects help people sort of get a feel for, as you say, their own local story. I think that's great. Just to finish, I wonder, what would you say are your, your key interests in archaeology now? 
I've always had an interest in landscape archaeology. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on uh, the Yorkshire Wolds. So as I've got older, I've kind of gone up the um, the topography from the lowlands of Round Hummel Spalding Moor up to the Wolds. And I'm particularly interested in the context of this Iron Age sanctuary and ring fort and trying to tease out those amazing crop mark sites which um, were plotted by English heritage, now historic England on the walls to try and make sense of what was actually happening there in later prehistory. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. And of course, uh, this is connected with the work I'm associated with as an academic advisor for Pocklington and those amazing chariot burials. Oh, yes. You're asking me for a kind of proud moment, actually being invited by uh, Paula Ware and the team from Map Archaeology to be their advisor and going on to the site and seeing that chariot burial with the two beginnings of the two horses actually protruding from the site attached to the chariot and continuing to watch the progress as that was excavated. That was something really exciting. I can imagine. I've, I've seen photos of the burial. It really is quite something. Gosh. Well, Peter, thank you. It's been so interesting talking to you. And of course, best of luck with the voting. Thank you again for, for talking to us. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. <laughs> My pleasure. And that was Peter Halcon talking to us there. Current Archaeology Magazine's third and final nominee for this year's um, Archaeologist of the Year Awards. Carly, before you go, do you want to remind us of how readers and listeners can vote in the awards and, um, you know, keep up to date with the rest of the conference? Absolutely. To find out about the conference and to keep up with the latest details of the programme, you can go to www.archaeology.co.uk forward slash live. And to find out more about the awards, it's www.archaeology.co.uk forward slash vote. At that latter address, you can find out more about all the nominees and you can cast your vote online. Uh, but there'll also be a, a paper voting slip in the next couple of issues of CA that you can tear out and post back to us if you prefer. And voting will be open until the 7th of February. Thanks, Carly. And thanks also to our three guests and to you for listening. We hope you'll join us again soon.